0: Hear the word of God from the book of Acts chapter 11. The apostles and the other believers heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter made his way up to Jerusalem, they criticized him, saying, Who are you to have gone into the houses of the uncircumcised and eat with them? Peter then responded by telling his story step by step. I was in the city of Joppa praying when suddenly, in a trance, I saw a vision come down from heaven. I saw what appeared to be this white sheet being lowered by its four corners down in front of me. I looked into it and I saw wild beasts four-legged animals, reptiles, and birds of prey. And I I heard a voice, a voice telling me, Peter, get up, kill and eat. Now I replied, surely not, Lord, for nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But, But then the voice spoke again, saying, do not call unclean, What the Lord has made clean. This happened three more times, and then it was all lifted back up to heaven once more. Now, right then, three men um, came who were sent sent for me from Caesarea. Now, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me and told me to have no hesitation about going with them. So me and these six brothers went with them to the man's house in Caesarea. There the man told us how an angel of the Lord had appeared before him and told him, Send to Joppa, for the man Simon, also called Peter, for he will deliver a message through which you and your whole family will be saved. Now, As I began to speak to the man and unto his whole family, I felt the same spirit, the same spirit that came unto us at the beginning, come unto them. And I was reminded of what the Lord has once said, John may have baptized with water, but you, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God can give the same gift that he gave to Gentiles, that he gave to us, believers of Jesus Christ, who am I to stand in God's way? Upon hearing this, the circumcised believers had no more objections, and instead they praised God, saying, even to the Gentiles, God has given the repentance that leads to life. The Word of God for the world.
1: Of the many highlights of the life of Peter, I wonder what we would say was the greatest. In other words, what might we say was the most significant moment in the life of Peter? It would be a lot to choose from. We might say it was at the very beginning when he was called by God, called by Jesus to be a, a disciple of Christ. That was a significant moment. Or it could have been that moment on the mountaintop when he had a private viewing of Jesus being transfigured right before his eyes. could have been that moment that he was walking on water for a little while. No other disciple got to do that. Or it might have been that moment when he was among the first disciples to rush to the empty tomb and discover it, the resurrection and bear witness to it for himself. Or maybe it was the very first sermon he ever preached, the greatest sermon in the history of the church on that very first Pentecost Sunday. Peter was a human highlight reel. He had a lot of wonderful things happen in his life that no other disciple got to experience. But if I were to choose one that I think tops them all, I think I would pick this one, this this one from this story in the book of Acts. Because this was the moment that would not only change his life, it would change the trajectory of the church forever. Because without this moment, the church would not have grown It would not have advanced its mission. It might have eventually even declined and faded into the shadows of history. And most of all, without this moment from this story today, you and I would not be here. You saw the story vividly portrayed by Isaiah moments ago. Here was Peter. He was on a long journey. He was tired. He was hungry. And so he decided to take a little bit of a a rest stop in a city called Joppa. And there he found a house and was, as customary for those who needed a break, he went to the rooftop of that house in order to have a private place to rest, to relax, to pray. And it was there that he fell into a deep trance. He began to dream. And there he saw a vision that would change his life. He saw a vision of a sheet, a giant picnic blanket, being descended from heaven right before him. And on that sheet was food, a sight for sore eyes for a hungry soul, except this food was unclean. All of these foods that were contrary to Hebrew dietary laws, animals like shellfish and animals with cloven hooves and and birds that were deemed unclean, But then there was a controversial voice from heaven who said, Peter, get up and eat. And Peter, despite being hungry, was also a good God-fearing Jew, and so he responded to that voice and said no. But then that voice said again a second time, Peter, get up and eat, and Peter said no. They did this for three times with the voice commanding Peter to eat and Peter saying no until Peter realized that this vision was not about Peter being hungry and it wasn't about which animals were clean and unclean. This vision was about God telling Peter that God's love was inclusive. God loved more than just the Jewish people. Peter found out that God loved the non-Jews as well. And the message of God's love through Jesus Christ needed to be communicated to people all over the world, not just those who were on the inside, but beyond the walls of the church, beyond the barriers that separated Jews and Gentiles. And so from this moment on, because of this vision, Peter and the other disciples were commanded to open up their missionary efforts to people who weren't Jews, because everyone everyone now had the opportunity to follow Jesus Christ. That was the vision. That was the dream. And I think this was the greatest moment in the life of Peter because it not only changed his life, but from here on out, it changed the way he would see others because Peter saw humanity the way God sees them, beyond the barriers that we construct to divide us. He learned that God's love includes even those that are unable to follow God's laws. And he saw that God includes those that we would exclude. That vision, that single image, was the greatest moment in Peter's life because it would change the trajectory of the church forever, and it was a vision that would allow everyone, even people like you and me, to experience God's grace for themselves. What a vision, what an image. A few years ago, my two daughters and I visited the Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, and one of our most memorable moments on that trip was to see the space shuttle Atlantis close up. And we also rode on a space shuttle simulator that made it feel like we were actually sitting on a space shuttle launching into space. At one point in the simulation, with our bodies strapped into the seats and the feeling of weightlessness starting to settle in, the ceiling of our simulator opened up like bay doors on the space shuttle. And we saw what the astronauts would likely have seen the entire time they were up in space, a wide-angle view of planet Earth in all of its beautiful hues of blue and green and white. It was a breathtaking view. It was a vision of the Earth in which you could not see the divisions. You just saw one planet, one humanity, one journey of spirit toward a common future. You could not see the distinctions between male and female. Gay and straight, Christian or non Christian or non religious, or pro life or pro choice, or immigrant or native, or young or old, just one earth, just one people. It's quite an image. In fact, it's the very same image that an astronaut named Scott Kelly saw eight years ago. Maybe you remember the name Scott Kelly. He was hovering in orbit on his way to the international space station and at the same time that he was circling the earth his sister-in-law congresswoman gabby giffords was shot at an event in her congressional district in tucson arizona it left her gasping for life she has since recovered, but she is now has long-lasting impact on her brain. But at that very moment, overhead, soaring 250 miles above Earth, was her brother-in-law, Commander Scott Kelly, on the International Space Station. And he learned of the shooting of his sister-in-law and decided to speak to the world as he looked outside his window Flight controllers in Houston were bracing. They were hushed to hear what Commander Kelly would say. And then he delivered this carefully crafted message As I look out the window, I see a very beautiful planet that seems very inviting and peaceful. Unfortunately, it is not. These days, we are constantly reminded of the unspeakable acts of violence and damage that we can inflict upon one another, not just with our actions, but also with our irresponsible words. We're better than this. We must do better. You see, from high up above the earth, he was able to see this placid, serene, even beautiful image of one earth and one humanity. But even at that distance, Commander Kelly was not far enough to escape the cold, harsh realities of a world that is fractured by violence and hatred and suffering and irresponsible words. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote one of the most compelling books that I've read in recent years. It's called Not in God's Name, Confronting Religious Violence. I thought of this quote from the book, I first read the book a few years ago as I was preparing to study the Thirty Years' War in Northern Ireland. I thought of this quote in connection to all of the other religious divisions that we have in our world, the religious divisions in our country, and particularly the divisions within our own beloved United Methodist denomination. This quote jumped out at me this past week. Rabbi Sachs wrote, Violence is what happens when you try to resolve a religious dispute by means of power. It cannot be done. Trying to resolve ultimate issues of faith, truth, and interpretation by the use of force is a conceptual error of the most fundamental kind, just as might does not establish right so victory does not establish truth. Both sides may fight with equal passion and conviction, but at the end of the day, after thousands or millions have died, whole countries reduced to disaster zones, populations condemned to poverty, and generations to hopelessness, after the very enterprise of faith has been degraded and disgraced, no one is a millimeter closer to God or salvation, or illumination. You cannot impose truth by force. That is why religion and power are two separate enterprises that must never be confused. That was the meaning of Peter's vision. That's why it was so important. He was able to see humanity as as God sees it. And you know what? He understood it. I mean, not at first. It took three times for that vision to take. I mean, after all, you and I don't always get it when God tries to get us to change course, to change the way we think and act and believe. But then he eventually got it. But you know what? That wasn't the toughest part. The toughest part came next in the story. Because it was one thing for Peter to understand what God was telling him, it was quite another to do what God was calling him to do next. Because then he called Peter to convince others of that truth too. God sent Peter to Jerusalem, to the capital of the religious establishment, the place where the church was born, where the early Christians gathered, where they established the framework for who was in and who was out, and Peter had to go in there all by himself. God was calling Peter to march straight into the heart of the religious establishment and try to convince those people that the way that they understood religion was wrong, and it needed to give way to a new religious expression that was more inviting, inclusive, and bigger. Not just change for change's sake, but for the sake of everyone in the world who was not yet part of the church, felt excluded by the love of God. That was Peter's calling. And you know what? It is our mission too. It is our challenge. Here at Hyde Park United Methodist, this is our formidable and unenviable task today, to introduce to the world a different kind of Christian faith, not one that is defined by exclusion or framed by division, but one in which all people without exclusion are loved by God, not one that causes harm, but one that brings life. Because we have a community around us. We have a a world around us that is filled with people who have been burnt by religion at its worst. They have chosen to walk away because of the way that they have been belittled and dehumanized all on the basis of religious conviction, because they're gay, because they're poor, or because they look or act or even believe differently from those of us who feel like we are exclusively on the inside. And so we are called to do just as Peter was called to march straight into the powers that be and introduce a different kind of religious expression, not religion at its worst, but religion at its best. Not religion that seeks to get God on our side, but a religion that seeks for ourselves to be on God's side. Not religion that sees God's law as, a, as hammers and handcuffs, but a religion that places God's love as the greater way. Not a religion that seeks to define who is in and who is out, but a religion that is wide enough and big enough to include those who have been harmed and even those who have chosen to walk away. Not a religion that views Scripture rigidly or narrowly, but a religion that allows the truths of Scripture to breathe, to even withstand our questions, for us to even use our reason and our rationale, to stand up to our doubts and to allow the Scripture to speak on its own terms. Because we believe that even though some of the greatest problems in the world have been caused by religion at its worst, we believe that the single greatest solution to the world's problems is religion at its best. And you know what? You and I get to be a part of that. That is at the core of who we are at Hyde Park United Methodist. It is at the core of what drove Peter henceforth to go into all the world and to share God's love with all people. And it is at the core of who we are to make God's love real, to love God and to love all so that we can experience the same ending of the story that we heard moments ago. Did you hear it? After after Peter had marched into Jerusalem and given his prophetic words to the religious establishment, the book of Acts says that those people in Jerusalem got it too. And it ends with these words. They praised God, saying, God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Let us pray together. Oh God, you have revealed to Peter a vision that not only changed his life, it changes ours. Because now we see ourselves as you see us, not defined by old rules of clean and unclean, of who is in and who is out, but as people who are all loved by you and commanded to love each other. And now just like Peter you call us to be your witnesses. Help us to heed that call. On this day when we have celebrated baptisms and acknowledged the achievements of our senior graduates, we ask that you would bless all of them and all of us. Empower all of us to grow in the faith, to be stronger in our Christian convictions, not to deepen what divides us, but to bring healing to those divisions. Help us to show others Your love. May we grow in the faith as we make Your love real to others. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and let all God's people say, Amen. And so in response to God's Word this morning, we offer our tithes and our offerings, our prayer concerns and our joys. And during the offertory, we invite your attention to the screen as we have a special presentation of many of our senior high graduates. As you see them, you'll see pictures from both young and old. You'll hear plans about where they're going. But I hope that you will watch this presentation prayerfully and even perhaps take the insert that's in your bulletin home with you so that you can continue to pray for each of our graduates over the upcoming year and pray for their families, (laughs) especially their parents as we all live into this exciting new chapter of God's grace together. We invite the ushers to come forward.